Good morning, Union Church. Great to be with you today. Well, actually, I'm not with you. This is pre-recorded. Most of you have figured that out already. But uh, we're going to dive back into Genesis today uh, in our series called In the Beginning. Today we're in Genesis chapter 12. If you want to turn there when you get a minute, we're going to look at that in a moment. Uh, the title of today's sermon is The Righteous Man You May Not Be So Familiar With. And our idea this morning, a big idea for our teaching is uh, failing doesn't make you a failure, it just makes you a sinner. So we'll get right into that. So speaking of sin, I need some volunteers to send me an email. Uh, email me this week, maybe five or six people with a list of all the sins they've committed this past week, all of them, you know, in all their detail, uh, just don't hold anything back. And I'm going to put that in my next newsletter to the church so that everyone can, you know, learn a little bit more about you. <laughs> anyone interested? I'd ask for a show of hands if you were here. Uh, I don't think any of us would really like to do that. Um, we wouldn't really like to uh, let everyone see it all, I'm sure. In fact, I really don't think it would be all that helpful for us to all uh, know everything that's going on inside of us and, and all that we're capable of in terms of sin. We all know people who have blown it in great ways, and we ask ourselves, you know, how could how could a Christian do that? How could they let themselves fall into that kind of sin? And it even gets it gets even even a little bit more difficult when you know someone who's well known or high profile, you know, falls. The Christian world has had its share, the church world, and even recently of those who have, you know, let us down, so to speak. Um, like somehow them falling lets us down, you know, but it's, it is kind of how we feel a little bit. Honestly, though, I think it's likely that we're being a little bit judgmental um, in times like that, you know, and, and big or small. I think we're reminded of the words of Jesus, you know, take the log out of your own eye before you comment on the, you know, the speck in your neighbors, quite a picture. Um, but people make mistakes. Christians make mistakes. I make lots of mistakes. And we call those mistakes sin. It's not just that we erred, we actually sinned. We've been looking at, you know, Genesis, and today I want to look at a character who often is not considered in the light I am about to ask you to consider him in. Many times when, you know, we prepare and teach, as, as pastors do this, prepare to teach and, and, and give a sermon, it, it's easy to fall into a bit of a trap of, of bringing messages to call people to something like faith, obedience, or belief, you know, based on these, you know, good stories of people who've done wonderful things. Think of Peter walking on the water, you know, be a Peter, you know. These topics are, I uh, wouldn't call them easy to deal with, but they are in, in the sense that the scriptures are, are, you know, there's lots of examples of people and great, you know, men and women of faith, and we can talk about those, uh, you know, and call people to something like that. But it's not as easy to talk about the realities of our lives sometimes, the dark side of human nature and how we live with it and deal with it. What do you do when you fall and and we fail and fall miserably at, you know, at times? At least I found that to be true in my own, you know, life. And, and, and I'm pretty uncomfortable to talk about it, and it would be for most of you as well, just to, you know, be wide open about it. It's not easy. The Bible is also full of examples like this. Uh, scripture doesn't gloss over, uh, you know, our humanity. There's difficult things that it deals with. And uh, this man I want us to look at today is the father of many things. He He's called the father of the promise, the father of faith, the father of the patriarchs, and the father of a great nation. Of course, probably most of you 
will have guessed it. And if you flipped it, Genesis chapter 12, you'll know I'm talking about Abraham. When we think about Abraham, and we've all heard of him, regardless if you've been in the church a day or a year or 10 years, you've, you've heard of Father Abraham. We, we think of the fact that he is, you know, the beginning of the Hebrew nation. There was no Hebrew nation before him. There, there, were, there were Semitic peoples, obviously. He had family. And, but he's the father of that Hebrew nation. And he's the father in the sense that he is the, the one who initiated us or, or sent us down this path of, of monotheism, of one God and God alone. You have to remember that his father, of course, you know, this is his biological father, Tarek was his name. He made a living selling idols and uh, of various gods. So there, there's, you know, polytheism there, and this is monotheism. So this is a beginning. The Israelites, the Jewish nation, they acknowledge him as the father of their nation and, and religion, really. He is the first in the list, and the patriarchs are mentioned. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, considered the patriarchs of Judaism. He is the one whose story is told because of the great faith he showed in offering his son Isaac on the mountain when God said, you know, sacrifice your, your son. And of course, you know, God provides the lamb, and he doesn't go through. That becomes a great metaphor all the way up into you know, the Lamb of God who becomes Jesus. And then Paul, you know, you know uses him in an illustrative way when, when he talks in Romans that righteousness comes from faith. And he talks about Abraham. He is the one through whom all peoples on earth will be blessed because of the Messiah and the lineage that gets traced right down from Abraham all the way to Jesus. That, that is the Abraham that we have come to know and love. A man so committed to God that he would leave his family and homeland and set out to follow the God who spoke to him. That's not really the Abraham I want us to kind of dive into a little bit. You know, we've talked about Noah. We've talked about the positive things that we see in the character of righteous men. And we, you know, use Noah as an example and said that righteous men find favor in the eyes of God. They trust the commands of God. They they are kept safe by God and righteous men worship God. All of these things we illustrated from Noah's life. But today I want to see the not-so-positive things. Can we use that language? The not-so-positive things from the life of this righteous man. Because I think that you and I may be able to relate to some of these things, maybe even a little bit more so than, than uh, some of these other uh, righteous men. Uh, I want to read Genesis 12, 12, chapter 12, verses 10 to 20. Just follow along with me. Or follow along in your Bible. Uh, remember here uh, we're going to use the name Abram and Sarai. And this is Abraham and Sarah. And they be, those names change a little later. But in this passage they're known that way. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while. Because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt. He said to his wife Sarai. I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you they will say. This is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. So say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. 
So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your, your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Crazy story, right? <laughs> Just like Abram said, you know, we're going to go down to Egypt. They're going to see that you're gorgeous and, you know, we're in trouble. So say you're my sister. Let's take a closer look here. The first thing we see about this righteous man is this, that righteous men have fears that may cause them to fail. In this case, he did. He was called to go and do something for God. Leave his country, go somewhere unknown, try something new. And I'm sure that it gave him pause, you know, and even probably created fear of the unknown. We, I think we all know that it's true that if, if you're trying to live your life for God, you're going to encounter times that will cause us to have to rely on his help to get us through. You know those times where it's like, you know, God, if you don't come through right now, I'm really in trouble. I believe that this is entirely typical of every one of us who follows Christ as their Lord, their master, their leader, however you want to phrase that. Because he wants us to learn dependence. That, that's what it's about. You know, we saw some of that when we studied, when we studied the Tower of Babel. These people who wanted to be independent and, you know, and have it their own way. Uh, and their scattering actually created this need for dependence. So, but I also believe it is true that each of us is human and prone to, in our own humanity, is prone to pride and, and self-reliance. You know, we say things like, I can do this by myself. I, I'll, I'll take care of this. It's, it's too, you know, I don't need to involve God in this one. We do that, you know. But that is a failure because... When we do that, it's not what God intended at all. You know, he, he wants to be a part of everything that we do. And, and we need to rely on him in all things in our life and not, you know, set ourselves up as independent and, and you know, not needing him. Abraham did the same thing. God said, go to the land I will show you and I'll make you a great nation. But famine struck and the first thing that happens is Abraham abandons the course he was set on earlier. And down to Egypt he goes, and the whole thing gets, you know, in trouble and, and begins to snowball for him. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. I know I can. Uh, you know, you try it on your own before you know it. You're at the bottom. You need help. You're calling out. You know, it could be you become desperate. It could be something like a financial mess you got yourself into, you know, some kind of moral failure or business error. I mean, who knows what it is? Maybe it's a marriage situation. And, and your marriage is in need of a great revitalization. And these types of situations are, are, are completely devastating sometimes, but they can strike fear in the, the hearts of, of all of those of us who, you know, call on Jesus as, as our Lord and Savior. You know, the ones who are viewed as righteous in his eyes. And we don't always respond the way we should. I think more often than not, we respond as Abraham did in this situation. You know, I can fix this. I'll take care of this. I, you know, I, I know what to do. And, and then we abandon course. But it was fear, too, wasn't it, that drove us to do it. And if we only would have responded differently, we wouldn't always find ourselves, you know, at the bottom. It's interesting that Isaac does the same thing. Uh, chapter 26 Go ahead and look at it later, but it's, you know, the same thing, famine, what are we going to do? And God says, don't go down to Egypt. Stay where I tell you, I'll look after you. He didn't stay. God looked after him anyways. 
Abram was a, you know, a, a righteous man. The scriptures tell us that he was a mountain of a, 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 a mountain of faith, a man who heard the voice of God and stepped out in obedience to his commands. And, but he also failed, you know. I, I, I have failed miserably, you know, so many times. And I, I found this to happen more often than not for me in the, in the context of relationships. It's a big, big part of my job, obviously, and what I do. But it's, a, it's important to me as well. And, you know, I was just reflecting on this and thinking about how, you know, there's been times where, you know, you, something's going on relationally and, you, and you, you pray about it and maybe God, you know, tells you, you know, directs you, guides you, gives you a sense of what you should do. And, uh, and, I, and I can think of times where I haven't followed that, you know. And it's devastating. It, stuff happens. Bad stuff happens. I, I was reflecting on that and thinking, you know, is there, is there a specific one that I could share with people? And I, and I definitely can think of some. But to be honest with you, me posting those stories in our weekly email, kind of like I said at the beginning, or just sharing them with you, just makes my stomach turn a little bit because I've, I've, there's so many mistakes that I've made. Um just willfully, you know, but I can also remember times and situations where uh, I've heard, you know, God in that still small voice going, you know, just be patient. Uh, don't say what the first thing that comes out of your mouth. And uh, this is someone I love, you know, more than you could ever love them and those kinds of things. And, and I can remember that too. And it's just so funny, you know, God's always right. He's always right. Pillars of faith like Abraham struggle with the same kinds of things that you and I struggle with, but they still maintained it seemed their position in the eyes of God and that is comforting and it's hope giving and you know to know that we can we can blow it and still see the hand of God you know list, lifting us up raising us up you know reaching out and giving us a, another opportunity I think you know this requires humility and repentance you know humility to say I, I can't do this on my own and God I'm you know I, I've sinned this way by by not listening to you, not following you, and you know, I repent, and you turn and go the other way, and God's there for you, you know, and, and it's just the reality of, of the human experience. Another thing that we see in Abraham's life is this, the failure of the blessed, or the blessed, doesn't always forfeit a blessing. God's promise is his word, which never fails. Abraham not only failed in that he abandoned the course God laid out for him, but he abandoned his wife now. He was scared, and that fear caused him to become deceitful, trying to trick Pharaoh, essentially, uh, in regards to the full truth about his wife, Sarah. You know, a, a beautiful woman in a country where, um, you know, available women were snapped up to add to the, you know, to the harem, as it were. And apparently, you know, Sarah was one woman that got noticed. I'm not sure what's going through his mind here, but I doubt it was that, you know, that this didn't really matter because, you know, God's going to take care of it. You know, similar what, similarly to what happened with, with Isaac. And in, in Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham reasoned that God could bring Isaac back from the dead. I don't think that's what's going on here. Some have suggested that. I struggle with that a bit. I... I I think if that's what was going on here, you know, the scriptures would have told us. Others have su suggested that what he told Pharaoh was not entirely a lie, so it's, you know, okay. Because um, Sarah actually was his half-sister, but fully his wife. 
So I, I'm not buying that one either. I mean, that just doesn't add up. I'm not letting him off the hook for that. Abraham found himself in this strange land where he really wasn't supposed to be and confronted with the situation that he felt he could get out of. Uh, and we end up with more failure, you know. Little sidebar here. Some, I just glossed over the fact that she was his half-sister. She was. Uh, but remember that in those days, uh, the gene pool was not what it is now. And so um, not diluted in the same sense. And so we have these kinds of situations that happened with, with you know, not the same kinds of things that would happen today if that were to take place. So it's it's an awkward situation to talk about, but it was true. She was his half-sister, but his full wife. And so this was a failure. But amazingly, you know, God steps in and comes to Sarah's rescue by inflicting Pharaoh's house with a disease and and she's let go. The point is this, the failure again of the blessed doesn't always forfeit a blessing. Let's put that into, you know, maybe language that, that we might understand a little, you know, in our day and age. Failing does not a failure make. Failing does not a failure make. Listen to these two passages of scripture. One, uh, this one from 1 Timothy 1, verse 16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. I love the word mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display Listen to this, his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. 2 Peter 3, uh, 2 verses 8 and 9. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. So glad he's patient with me. And he's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is not some mean ogre waiting to zap people who cross him. He is patient and wants us to learn reliance on him. Um, so please keep in mind, though, this isn't an unlimited cycle. I think there's balance that needs to uh, you know, be understood here. We can't continue failing forever and expect God to bail us out continually, you know, especially if it becomes willful. We are supposed to learn from our failures, grow more, trust more, become more like Jesus, and hopefully we fail Last, that's what's called spiritual maturity. And if that's not happening in your life, then you know maybe you need to talk to someone about you know, the choices you're making and those kinds of things. But once he makes a promise to his children, that promise is good, regardless of what happens, uh, you know, that leads to this next truth that we see in, in Abraham's life. Third thing this morning, God's promises are not undone by the failure of men to believe them. Listen to that again. God's promises are not undone by the failure of men to believe them. Two, two promises, key promises to Abraham happen at the beginning of, of chapter 12. We didn't read them, but um, key promises in the whole you know, development uh, and the narrative of Scripture. One is uh, the promise of a great nation. You become a great nation. Um, you, your descendants will be as numerous as the sands of the seashore. And the other one that was right next to it was his promise of protection. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So a couple of questions in regards to, you know, the reality that 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 we started to talk about in verse 10, where it says there was a famine in the land and he went down to Egypt. First is this, a um, couple of questions. How can a great nation that does not exist yet die in a famine? Okay, I think that's a good question. Second one is this, how can a promise of a great nation and a curse for those who curse you, that, that's protection, 
come true if Sarah is taken into Pharaoh's harem? I think it's another good question, you know. Um, but Sarah was saved. They did become a great nation. All people are blessed through the Hebrew people, ultimately Jesus. So uh, it happens anyways. God, you know, works in spite of the fact that Abraham doesn't seem to believe, you know, the promise of, of a great nation and protection. Got to do it. Got to look after this one myself. But God has promised to love and protect us. He has promised to hear our prayers when we humbly come to him. He has promised to provide for us in the face of suffering. He has promised to have his Holy Spirit guide us into truth. He has promised to give us wisdom, you know, when we ask. He has promised to help us when we face things that we can't handle. He has promised that if we believe on his name and in his son that we will be saved. That's the ultimate promise. But how many times have we acted and do people act in such a way as if none of that were true? How many times have we gone off under our own power, you know, and tried to navigate through life's rough waters on our own? How many times? But still those promises are true and always will be because God's promises are not undone by the failure of men to believe them. How many of you uh, would like now to participate in emailing me the list of your transgressions in detail for all to see? Probably not too many, um, and I, I'm not asking you to. Please don't. Uh, I don't need to see that. But it wouldn't matter, really, uh, because God is not here to zap you. Likely the thing that would hold you and me back from doing that, though, you know, another factor would be the fear of judgment that we have from, from one another. Listen to what Romans has to say about that, chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. In other words, put yourself in the story. What would you have done? Would you have been better than Abraham? And um, we do the same things in other ways. I alluded at the outset of my sermon this morning that there have been many things taking place you know, recently in the Christian world and church that have been disappointing to say the least. I guess I had a fairly specific thing in mind. Some of you may have heard this story. It's been in all, you know, major news outlets. A man by the name of Ravi Zacharias, famous apologist, brilliant mind, uh, reasoning, you know, for the for the reality of a a, a faith filled life and a need for God and faith in Jesus and those kinds of things. Just a brilliant apologist. Heard him speak live several times, uh. And, you know, he, he passed away recently, but all this stuff started to come out afterwards. Uh, you know, moral failure and falling and failing. Um, just, you know, I won't go into the details. Just difficult, difficult stuff to square with, you know, who he was. My wife and I were having this, I would call it a robust discussion about this. And we commented that so many people are going to be asking the question of his, you know, eternal state. You know, where is he? Does God let him in now? You know, it's not really, uh, you know, something that's up to me, obviously. But this story that we looked at right now about Abraham and these aspects of this, you know, very human nature, give me great hope personally. Just never mind anyone else. Never mind anyone else. Think of it for yourself. Just, just me, knowing my own heart, my own failures, my own sin. Because failing does not a failure make in the eyes of God. Failing just means that you and I, and everyone else who surrenders to the love of Jesus in their lives, we are all sinners and we worship a Savior who saves and delivers the sinners. 
from their sins. The God who was the God of Abraham, that righteous saint of old, is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Blessings.